the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. Founder of Yearn Finance is Andre Cronier, who became something of a legend in the DeFi world for pioneering what is known as yield farming. Yearn Finance is a group of protocols running on the Ethereum blockchain that allows users to optimize their earnings on crypto assets through lending and trading services. It does this using code and nothing else but code, removing the need for a financial intermediary like a bank or a custodian. And to do this, it's built a system of automated incentives around its Yearn Finance cryptocurrency, which is called YFI or YFI. In its first month of operation, the Yearn Finance platform attracted nearly $800 million in assets, making it one of the fastest growing DeFi projects to date. Yearn consists of several different products. There's APY, which shows you different interest rates you can earn. And then there's Earn, which identifies the highest interest rates users can earn by lending an asset. There's Vault, which is a collection of investment strategies designed to generate the highest returns from other DeFi projects. And there's finally Zap, which allows users to complete multiple investments in a single click. Yearn Finance is an aggregator service for decentralized or DeFi investors, and it uses automation to allow them to maximize profits from yield farming. We're going to get into that in a minute. Hang with it. Its goal is to simplify the ever-expanding DeFi space for investors who are not technically minded or who wish to interact in a less committal in a manner than more serious traders. Andre joins us now from Cape Town. Hi, Andre. I said in the beginning that you're something of a legend in the crypto world, but you may not be that well known to the MoneyWeb audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in cryptos. Yeah, that was a that was an impressive intro. Um, uh, I, I have to give you credit for that one. Um, how I got started into crypto, um, I I was originally working in the fintech space. And there were a lot of problems we were facing in fintech. So, so I was sort of at that intersection between what can we do with neural networks? What can we do with fintech? What can we do with mesh networks and these kinds of things? And, and it's a bunch of really difficult problems to solve. And, and the first kind of official time all of this blockchain stuff came across my desk was like that big ICO boom of 2017, um, because all of a sudden there were a lot of like 19 year old kids just out of school, um, with these white papers acting like they had solved, you know, these, these fundamentally hard problems that the, our industry has been struggling with, you know, for decades. Um, and that, that piqued my interest, but more so my skepticism because, you know, I, there, there are large technological leaps every few years, but at the same time, what these guys were promising just seemed a little bit too far-fetched. So, so I started digging in really deep, and I actually started my career in crypto as a, as a reviewer or auditor of other projects. And I used to call out the, the scams. And I mean, 95% of crypto is scams. That's, that's, that is just what it is. It's an unregulated industry. So you know you need to be very careful. And I got into it because of my skepticism slash um, disdain for like the promises these these people were trying to make when it was things they could never deliver on you know but at the same time they're raising millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars um, very quickly overnight with these initial coin offerings 
And and I I'm looking at their their tech stack. I'm looking at their GitHub. I'm looking at their research paper. And then it's very easy to see. You know, these guys have no way of ever promising or implementing the things that they actually claim they can do. So my original foray into it started with uh, my blog where I used to write, and then eventually I joined Crypto Briefing, which is a um, media publication in the space. And our whole thing was, you know, pointing out when projects were capable of delivering on what they were saying and when they weren't capable of delivering on what they're saying. And and I did that for quite a while. Um, But that's also a very hostile job um, because you're basically telling people, you know, the thing you just invested a lot of money on isn't going to work. And and there's there's a there's a financial incentive for them to try and shut you down. So so there was a lot of hostility, a lot of toxicity, a lot of those things. And, and I finally got to the point where you know my 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 interest has always been technically aligned. It's not it's not as a reviewer, it's not as an auditor. And I wanted to get back to my roots. And at that point I had learned enough of what is possible and what isn't possible that I wanted to start showing people, you know, what, what is possible, not what is extravagant or what is blatant lies or any of this stuff. Um, so originally started working on um, an own personal blockchain implementation as well, which we ended up launching, uh, um, which is now one of the, the top five EDM chains. Um, after we had proved that consensus and that scalability, then I moved on to into what is now today the DeFi space, um, launched the Yearn Finance Protocol, um, after that Keeper Protocol, and now today a new protocol. But um, yeah, the like I said, the, the original entry into the space was really just because of how, how manipulative the marketing is. Um, and, and I think still... T- Still today, that's 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 still a massive problem in this space because you know it's it's one of those. If you're not in the industry, it sounds plausible and it sounds believable. But if you're if you're in the industry, you quickly know it's not. And there's not a there's not enough people that are willing to put their reputation on the line to say, look, what these guys are saying isn't possible. Um, so yeah, not not exactly the usual orthodox entry into it, but but I'm still happy with how it happened. Okay, so you came in by way of doing audits and basically trying to filter out the the, the scams from what were genuine project, uh, products. And of course, that's something very much needed in the space. There are a tremendous number of scams. Um, I mentioned in the intro a little bit about yield farming. Now, this is something that people who are not familiar with the crypto space or blockchain may have trouble getting their minds around. You, you can be earning returns of you know 70 hundred percent per year Uh, and that sounds like too good to be true and of course there are risks associated with that so i want you to just walk people through that and explain what those risks are but at the same time there are ways of doing it this is what you were trying to develop you were trying to automate ways that people could hunt for those very very best returns just walk us through that Sure. So, so even in traditional finance there, so, so in decentralized finance, there are pre, there are three primary sources of yield and I'll get into them, but first in traditional finance, there are two overlapping sources of yield as well. Now, the very first one, um, I actually, let me flip them around. Let's the, the second one is normally where, where I think I should start the, so let's say the first one, I'm, I'm wasting my own time here. The first one is lending. 
thing. You know, um, it doesn't matter if this is traditional finance or decentralized finance. You go to a bank, you deposit your money into a savings account, and that generates you interest. Now, the way the bank generates that interest is they take the money you just deposited into them and they go loan that out to partners, contractors, vetted um, uh, vetted lenders or, or, or anything else that's, that's on their books. And they take that interest that the lenders then pay. So, so on the flip side, you know, if you go to the bank now and you want to take out a home loan, you give them your house as collateral and they borrow you money. Now, that money they're borrowing you is, is the money that someone else deposited into the bank. Now, for this, they take management fees and they take a percentage of that interest. So, you know, you, you pay maybe, let's say, 6 to 9% interest when you're taking a loan, but in your savings account, you're getting 1% to 2% interest. Now, now, that difference is based on, you know, the available capital and there's, there's a sum there, but that's the same in decentralized finance. So in decentralized finance, you have something, let's say you have some Bitcoin or you have some Ethereum. Um, you can use that as collateral, and by providing it as collateral, you're also lending it out. So I'm getting an interest rate from other people that want to borrow from that. And at the same time, now that I use it as collateral, I can borrow a different asset. So let's say I take my, my, my Bitcoin, I take one Bitcoin, and I deposit it as collateral, and now I'm earning, let's say, 1% to 2% interest on that from other people who are borrowing it. And let's say Bitcoin is... $40,000. So at that point in time, and let's say it has a loan to value ratio of, of 80%. So I can now go and loan, let's say $30,000 um, USD on the other side. But, you know, someone else had to deposit that USDC. So someone else came along, deposited $30,000 of USDC because they wanted to borrow 0.5 of Bitcoin. So, so the, the code facilitates that process that the bank would do. So now instead of needing to match these depositors and these lenders, and instead of needing to manage it, and you know, you need to go, you need to go debt hunting if they default, or you need to go have repossession if something occurs. Um, all of these things is automated. In, in, in decentralized finance, if you don't pay back your loan, your position simply gets liquidated, and that all happens automatically and on-chain. It's it's not the the protocol's code dictates the rules, but there are there's no human involvement. And you know, if I go and deposit my Bitcoin to go borrow USDC, there's no one that needs to vet me. There's no one that's going to run a credit score on me because I'm 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 providing, as they say, an over collateralized loan. But that's very similar to banks as well. Even even though your rates might change based on your credit scores or things like that, nine out of ten times you're still putting up some collateral, whether that be you know. Um, a business, a car, a house, personal equity, surety, it doesn't matter. You're providing collateral to the bank so that they can make sure they can recoup that investment. So that's that's the first source, and that's sort of the most basic one to understand. Now, the next one, this also exists in traditional finance, and this is market making. So if you go to a stock exchange, so let's take the JC, for example, and you want to go trade Nasdaq. Now, there's, there's buys and sells. So some people are saying, hey, I'm willing to buy the stock for this amount of dollars. And other people are saying, hey, I'm willing to sell the stock for this amount of dollars. Now, if, if those orders just sit on the book, then they, they'll never overlap. So either other people who are trading need to come and fill those buys and sells. But more traditionally, that is done by something that's called the market maker. And that's what they do. They make the markets. So you would, if, if I'm now an Aspash, I would engage with a market maker. I would give them 
some liquidity on both the buy side and the sell side. So I'll give them some dollars and I'll give them some stock. And they need to make sure that they close those orders. They need to make sure they keep the spread nice and tight um, so that you know it makes sense for people to buy. And if there are arbitrage opportunities between different exchanges, so let's say on exchange A, it's trading at $1 and exchange B, it's trading at $1.20. An arbitrage opportunity means you buy it at $1 from exchange A and then sell it for $1.20 at exchange B. And, and all of these functions is what traditional market makers do. Now, market makers normally get those profit, they get those spreads, and they get that arbitrage opportunities. Now, again, in DeFi, the original, um, what they call automated market maker, AMMs, um, pioneered by Bancor and then eventually kind of, I think, formalized slash normalized via Uniswap which is, again, a mathematical way to do this exact same thing. So in, in, in decentralized finance, it's normally referred to as X, Y, K, and that's just because if you plot X times Y on a, on a normal graph, that, that, that graph you get is the price point at any given point of time. So if you buy, there's an appropriate shift in the price. If you sell, there's an appropriate shift in the price. And that's why it's automated, because now all of a sudden you don't need an external entity you don't need someone that is integrating between exchange A and exchange B. This is just contracts on the Ethereum virtual machine um, or whatever blockchain it is. Um, I predominantly work in EVM-based systems. And then you as a liquidity provider, so now in case number one, Naspash would have given the company who is market making for them some Naspash stock and some USD. Now, with an automated market maker, they would just deposit some USD and some of the NASPAS stock into this contract. And then this contract charges a fee every time someone does a trade. So now if an external person comes in and they would like to buy some NASPAS, they, they sell USD and they buy NASPAS. So what they're doing is they're giving USD to the contract and they're taking some of the NASPAS stock out of it. And now by doing that, it charges a, a fee. Now this fee depends on each different automated market maker. There's different kinds. Uniswap specifically charges a 0.03% fee. So now every time a trade happens, that is a, a fee that is paid to the liquidity providers, not the protocol. So now we're in traditional finance, the market-making company would have received that yield in decentralized finance. The liquidity provider, which is me in this circumstance, is the one earning the yield, not the protocol. So these were the two original sources of yield. You could either lend things out or you could provide it to automated market makers for trading. Then came what is now today popularized as yield farming. Now, yield farming, if we look at it in traditional finance terms, you know, if you go to if you go to a clicks and you go spend a uh, you go spend a bunch of money there, then you end up getting I I think it's the clicks club card points or something like that. I, I correct me if I'm wrong in the loyalty scheme, but they have a loyalty scheme. So the more money you spend, the more of these points you rack up. And eventually, these points you can use for discounts, you can use them for coupons, you can even use them as as tender and buy things with them. Now now tokens in decentralized finance or, or rather crypto as a whole, have the unique properties that they function as, as company stock. Now, obviously this depends on crypto to crypto, but in a lot of the decentralized finance scene, they, they act as company stock. So what that means is they give you certain governance rights over the protocol in terms of the decision-making and where it will go, You know, similar to a, a, a shareholders meeting. And they give you dividends. So if the protocols does make fee, then it pays out dividends to you. But now at the same time, and this is protocol dependent, but a lot of protocols use their token also as a loyalty 
scheme. So in the case of SushiSwap, which is a Uniswap fork that then added a yield incentive with their own token Sushi on top of that, if you are a liquidity provider, you are earning those automated market maker fees and Sushi is paying you their Sushi token, which is their loyalty program by being loyal and using their protocol, they're giving you this token. But now at the same time, this token is is tradable it's liquid you can go sell it it has liquid active markets um, so obviously it's your choice you can keep it if you want to participate in governance in these things you can keep it if you like the protocol and you just want to commit to the future value of it you can keep it if you would like to you know earn the dividends that is being paid out by the protocol or you can sell it for your underlying asset and then compound your interest in that so in decentralized finance those are your three primary sources of yield source one being lending source two being market making and then source three being liquid loyalty programs i think is the best way i can describe it um but so now with with as as more protocols started coming out um, and, and this segments a little bit into Yearn, just to give the idea of why that started. As more of these protocols started coming out, more and more of these opportunities started to exist on chain. And it became more and more difficult for a, for a non-informed user to be able to make the correct decision on where should they be putting their assets for the highest return. So Yearn's original premise, and, and still today its premise, is very simplistic. It scours all of these protocols sees where it gets the highest yield and then simply moves the funds there and that's really all it does so it's it's a yield switching system where it just identifies the best place and moves it to there but at the same time you know working closely with a lot of these protocols we've been able to to change slightly how they work so so what i mean by that is in let's let's take the traditional amn so in the traditional automated market maker and let's stick with the uh, let's let's go with bitcoin and usd so now in a traditional automated market maker, I would deposit 50% of the value in Bitcoin and 50% of the value in USD. And I would be earning trading fees, but that's all I'm going to get. But now if you go to a lender, like let's say you go to a lender like, like the Aave protocol and you deposit your, your BTC, your Bitcoin, then they give you a, a IOU token, a, a, a tokenized representation of your deposit. So they give me one A BTC and it's A prefixed because that stands for AVA. So that's an AVA BTC. But at the same time, now instead of needing to go put that Bitcoin into an automated market maker, I can go put AVA Bitcoin as the one pair and I can go put AVA USD as the second pair. So now people can still trade between Bitcoin and USDC, and I can still earn trading fees, but now I can also be lending out the underlying assets, and I can be earning lending interest right on top of that. And then we take it a third step, and now you still earn the loyalty token, like, like Sushi or Aave or, or Comp for Compound or any of these protocols, and that now further compounds your yield. So... So a quick response people often have, you know, is like um, you'll you'll see forty percent, sixty percent, eighty percent in rare cases as high as one hundred percent APYs, um, which is your interest per year that you're earning, and then the immediate reaction is this is impossible, this doesn't make sense, this should be a scam. But the reason it's high is because it's it's compounding these principles. It's it's taking the lending, and that's you know is earning let's say between five to ten percent, and then it's taking the trading and that's earning another five to ten percent and then it's taking the loyalty program and that's earning another 10 to 20 percent and then very quickly you end up with 40 percent because at the same time the protocols aren't aren't debt extracting so what that means 
you know, they're not taking 50% of these fees. They're not taking management fees. It's, it's software that's running on a virtual machine on a blockchain. It needs no DevOps. It needs no humans. It needs no interactions. Once the code is deployed, it's done. It's there. In most cases, it can't be modified. There are ways you can make it modifiable, but that's the technological solution. That's not the base blockchains themselves. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's immutable is what we refer to. So, so when, when you take out all of that different value extraction, you know, if you now go imagine, you now go to a bank and now you take your Bitcoin as collateral, let's say the bank accepts it. Now, the very first thing they do is they're going to take an initiation fee on your loan. And then they're going to give you, let's say, I don't know, prime plus one or something, um, if you're lucky. And that's already now interest you need to be paying them back, where normally the protocol would be giving that to you. And now that money you're going to take and you're going to go to a traditional finance market maker. Now that market maker is going to take the spread between the, the assets you're providing it. And you need to be paying them a monthly fee for the services they're doing. And while you're doing all of this, you're not getting... They're not giving you shares in their company or they're not giving you loyalty programs or any of this stuff. So, you know, that's why it's 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 the lack of interconnectivity in the traditional world. And obviously, you know, humans needing to take their cut where they can versus the interoperability in the decentralized world and the fact that we remove humans out of the equation that really makes it the environment it is. Um I, I, I mean, personally speaking, I, I, I don't invest in crypto. Um, I very quickly realized crypto volatility is not for me. It, it moves too quickly, too fast, and that keeps me up at night, and I don't like that. So, so even what I do in decentralized finance, I do in fiat. It's in rands, it's in dollars, it's in euros. Um, it's in safe assets. You know, They're not as volatile as Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of these things. I put them in, in stable coin automated market makers, stuff like Curve finance or convex finance, which allows you to trade it one-to-one -one in value. So it doesn't depeg or lose principal value, which is something that they refer to as impermanent loss, um, which we can also get into later if you like. So I'm earning trading fees. At the same time, I use pools, um, which, which deposits the underlying into lending platform. So I'm earning that lending interest. And then I'm getting things like the curve and the CVX token on top of that, which gives me my extra loyalty incentives. Um, and, you know, like, like once, once you start approaching it from that direction, you, you realize it's not, it's not all the moon stuff. It's not get rich quick. It's not, you know, trying to invest in a coin that's going to 100x overnight because there is no get rich quick scam. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. I know people wish there was. Um, the only way you make money is consistency and hard work. Fascinating. Uh, so you, you don't invest in cryptos yourself. I'm, I want to pick up this point about the origins of Yearn Finance. You originally developed this as a kind of a pilot and you put it out there as basically some software code that people can play with. It was kind of a demo. If you go onto one of these online brokers, you know, you open a demo account, you play the markets. I think this is what you were doing just to see how it would work. But no sooner had you done that, people started putting real money into this protocol. And even though you advised them against this, the, the project was hacked. And I think there was quite a bit of money that was stolen out of that. But tell us about that, the origins of that. Um, so, so just to qualify there, the year I launched was never hacked. Um, after, after I had left, there was an exploit for about, I think it was like $8 million on the die pool or something. Um, but that was new code they released in the V2. That was not, that was not original urine code. So, so sorry. I just want to add that qualification. Okay. 
I, I, I know it's, it's, it's a point of pride for me is that, you know, I've, I've in my career year only had two exploits. The one was a slippage exploit with a new curve pool I launched, which was about 200K. And then the other one was Eminence Finance, which was a unreleased product that people decided to throw a bunch of money into, which, you know, I had never advertised or even mentioned anyone to use. Um, but anyway, so, so you're in finance at, at that time, um, I was managing my own funds and I was, you know, every morning I'd wake up, I'd go look at where's the best interest rates. I'd go look at compound DYDX, Aave, Uniswap, whatever it was, and see where I can get the most value out of my money. And then I would manually switch it from protocol a to protocol b and after doing this for a few weeks it became tedious i am a developer i decided i can automate this so i wrote code on the blockchain that automatically views which of these protocols has the best yield opportunities and then shifts it but now even that i still had to interact with on a daily basis on a daily basis i had to still wake up and at least initiate my system to go look for it because the thing about blockchain is you know, it doesn't, it, it, it only changes state when there is an external actor. It, it has no internal mechanisms to do something by itself. So it is stateless, stateless until affected by an outside force. Um, so the realization I came to is if I open this up to other users, every time they deposit or withdraw money, then the system can self-correct. So when someone deposits or withdraws, it can check where's the best yield and then it can shift the fund. So the more people I give access to this, the more hyper-optimized the system gets. And it starts you know, moving faster and faster between these different protocols, which further optimizes the yield. So, so even the first release wasn't designed as a demo. It was designed specifically for people to interact with and deposit into, because that's the premise of how the system becomes more fine-tuned. Um, and, you know, that's... So, so the, the Wi-Fi token originally happened because even, even though... So, so now I have the system, users are interacting with it, so, so I don't have to at least manually interact with it, but I still have to do things like support. I still have to make sure the website's up and running. Like if there is a problem, I need to look into it. And, and I, I'm not good at maintaining projects. I'm good at creating new projects. So I, I released the token and that's why specifically I, I kept none for myself and I gave all of it away to people who use the protocol so that they are incentivized to maintain it on my behalf because now they have a vested financial interest in the success of the protocol. So I change it so that the fees get paid out to the token and then token holders ended up taking it over and they're the ones that maintain the current website they're the ones that released v2 um, all of everything that happened after i released the token um, was done by other people i see that you're in finance just looking at my screen here or, or yiffy trades at just over twenty five thousand dollars, and that may surprise people it's one of the most expensive cryptos you can buy bitcoin currently trading a little bit over forty thousand dollars and I see that it has about $4.2 billion in value locked up on it in the protocol. What's your vision for Yearn over the next few years? Where do you see it going? Nothing. Like I said, I launched the token so that I could abandon it. Um, the second I launched that token, I stopped being involved. Okay. So you, you, you're basically hands off at this point. And you're letting it run on auto, autopilot. Uh, no, I mean, there's there's a full team dedicated to it. I think they have like 200 staff or something. Um, I'm just not involved in any capacity. 
I think the problem that people have with DeFi and cryptos generally is it's not particularly user-friendly. And this is obviously what you mentioned, why you got into it. You tried to automate some of these systems. You know, how do you find the best yields on these different exchanges? There's no one there to hold your hand and say, explain terms like staking or proof of stake or you know what, what this protocol actually does. And one gets the sense it's a language that's been crafted by developers and not by users. One of the beauties and dangers of this, of course, is that there's no intermediary. Are we going to see this becoming more and more user-friendly in the future? And how soon? Um, personally speaking, I hope not. Because you, you have to understand self-custody and being the owner of your own funds is a right. It is not, it is very, very dangerous. It comes with a so so if you have your money in a bank and you accidentally send it to a wrong account, you know, I can contact someone at the bank and ask them to reverse that transaction. On the blockchain, that doesn't happen. If you send it to the wrong place, your money is gone. If you lose your keys, your money is gone. If you forget your seed phrase, your money is gone. If you accidentally lose your hardware wallet, your money is gone. If you're using a software wallet and you format your PC or your laptop or your phone, your money is gone. So so I I don't I don't think better UX is is the solution. I think better education is the solution because the it's, you know, if you now tell someone you no longer have a bank, you have all of your own money, but you now need to go find where should you invest that money? You know, most people are going to lose their money because scammers are just going to convince them they're the best place to invest and they're going to steal all of the money because they don't have the structures and the resources and the time and the knowledge that you know all departments of banks and risk analysts and all of these things get so so i understand that it seems almost exclusive by design but but it's it's exclusive as a measure of safety risk and security because every time you do something with your money on a blockchain you need to be making an informed decision if that decision is based off of what someone else told you you're going to lose your money if that decision is you depositing into a protocol you don't understand, you're going to lose your money. And after that happens, there's no one you can phone. There's no one that can reverse that. There's no customer support. There's there's no one that's going to be able to help you after the fact. So, so the whole principle is it's more important to gain that knowledge before the mistake happens than if you have a support channel after the mistake happens, because the support channel is not going to be able to help you in the decentralized space. Okay, Andre, moving forward, you, you've now involved in a project, or recently, not now, uh, got involved in a project called Keeper, which has got an unusual spelling. It's K-E-E-P and the letter, th- uh, the number three R. Tell us about Keeper, because that seems to be aimed at the developer community, correct? Um, so that's, so So in, in a statement I made earlier, a blockchain is stateless unless influenced by something outside of it. Um, so a problem that we had with a lot of our protocols is, you know, let's say, let's say Yearn, and it has collected a bunch of tokens as yield incentives. And now it wants to sell those tokens to the underlying principal. Now it can't do that automatically. If it does it automatically, it's going to be front run as soon as it tries to do a trade on a on an AMM. So instead, it needs what what is referred to as keepers. These are just things that do upkeep on systems. You know, whether that is to update a timestamp, whether that is to liquidate a bad debt position, um, whether that is to compound yield. It doesn't really matter. But it is a it's a generic off chain bot and or DevOps solution and or script running in a cron tab that 
that monitors what's going on on-chain, and when the correct conditions are met, it initiates a transaction. Now, the problem is I... I, I'm, I'm in a unique position where I'm not bound to any of these protocols. So, so I, I float around a lot and I work with, with anyone where I think there is a good opportunity at a given point in time. And, and everyone was running their own infrastructure. Everyone was building their own DevOps. Everyone was running their own nodes and their own bots and their own scripts and all of this stuff. And it's a lot of duplicated effort. So the principle with Keeper is that any of these protocols can, can integrate with it on a, on a code level. And then there's this network of bots, you know, and these aren't known. I, I don't know who any of them are. I don't know what infrastructure they're running on, but they monitor the Keeper network. The Keeper network informs them when there's work to be done with one of the sub-protocols, and then they do the work. And for doing the work, they get paid. So, so again, you know, it, it stemmed out of a need of a generalized automation solution that is needed by all of these protocols. And that's why we ended up building it, you know, similar similar to Yearn. It, it started from a need to switch between protocols. Keeper started from a need to, to automate external interaction. Because the problem is now at the same time, you know, you can't say your protocol is decentralized if the only way it works is if your scripts and your servers and your bots have to maintain the system. So this was also a step towards a more decentralized solution because, you know, now if something happens to me today, the Keeper network is going to keep upkeep on all of the products I've built. So, so I don't have to interact with them anymore. So it's great for me from a lazy perspective, but it's also great from a decentralization and a security perspective. All right. And I think you mentioned at the start of this that you, you've launched another product uh, quite apart from the previous two we've mentioned, and that's an automated market maker. Tell us about that. So, so with, with Keeper, Keeper has a sub-product called Fix Forex. Now, Fix Forex creates... Um, synthetic on-chain representation of Forex markets. So it does things like um, Japanese yen or Swiss francs or euros or any of these things. Um, a problem with that is that there currently doesn't really exist any automated market makers that are specialized towards Forex pairs. Um, Curve V2 is definitely doing the best in that field, um, but other than that, there's, there's, there's no easy solutions to use. Um, and that need really created us, well, again, pushed us to do research into what kind of curves can we use, what makes sense for assets that are closely correlated, but still shift based on markets. You know, they're not one equal to one. Um, we got lucky. We found a few new curves that work. We ended up implementing them and, and we launched them as, as the new Solidly Exchange. Um, but, but again, that reason exists to facilitate the Forex trade, which is part of our Keeper Fix Forex project. So, you know, each... Each product can be seen as a as an extension of the previous one. Keeper originated partly because Yearn needed DevOps solution. Yearn originated because I needed automated management solutions. Fix Forex originated because the the DeFi space as a whole is incredibly over leveraged to USD, and we wanted to change that. And I also wanted to give me some Czar alternatives, so. So, so that's why it ended up being created. But then we saw that there's extreme capital inefficiency with the trades. And so now Solidly is created for the AMM purposes. You know, so, so each one is just an extension of the previous tech stack, really. One of the things that has been mentioned as like an outgrowth of this whole crypto and blockchain technology is a, an alternative forex market but based on stable coins. So you, know, you now have a, a bunch of US dollar back stable coins and euros and even the rand there's a few of them now so you really have the potential to create forex markets 
outside of the of, of the banking system is is this something that is happening that we just haven't heard much about um it's it's in its initiation phases now so so forex has only really come onto the decentralized finance scene in the last 3 to 6 months it's still very new um this 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 is an evolving technology you know like like what what exists in decentralized finance today couldn't exist three years ago because three years ago you needed basic automated market makers you needed basic lending you needed um, basic yield aggregation services so so each component as they get added unlocks the next wave of technology that can happen and 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 forex is sort of the next wave there but but not so much to create forex markets more more in terms of international settlement remittance, those kinds of things, because the, the, the Forex markets end up making decentralized finance a lot easier for traditional fiat on an offboarding without the necessity of, you know, three-day international payments or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but, but to answer it accurately, I, I don't think, you, you know, most people, when they hear about crypto, they think Bitcoin. Maybe some of them know Ethereum, very few know decentralized finance, even less know the difference between an AMM and a lender, and and now you're getting to the point where you know we're we're at the cusp of this technology. So so I I doubt there's an informed market on on this specific technology technological play. There's so much to unpack there. We're going to have to leave it at that for the moment. But I think each of these subjects is worthy of a podcast on its own. But I really want to thank you, Andre, for coming on and shedding some light on some of these projects that you're working on, and also telling us a little bit about the origins of DeFi, because you were a pioneer in that space. So thanks very much for joining us on Money with Crypto. Much appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to the Money Web Crypto podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.